The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Monday afternoon. Ramona Shelburne, how are you? How are you? So here's how I am, Ramona. You really want to hear how I am? I do. I, I really do want to hear. So I'm thinking about the NBA as I normally do, and the playoffs. And I'm sitting here, I'm looking at this piece of paper of notes I have right here. Create the mm. crazy person notes on Clippers' sons. Yeah. And I'm thinking about how the Clippers haven't released their injury report yet. So, you know, we don't, I can't say for certainty who's playing and not playing with their season on the line. And as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about a lot of X's and O's stuff. Like I think the Suns' offense has started to show some signs of getting a little bit of rhythm, particularly in the second half of Game Four, despite some hiccups and some heavy minutes and some depth issues. But they're starting to look a little, a little yeah. bit more cohesive. Then I'm thinking about, boy, this Kawhi thing and this PG thing, and how if they lose this series, and they're down three-one. Fighting like hell. But can we just say that fighting like hell? Yeah. Russell West Russell Westbrook, I owe you an apology. I wrote you off as a as a winning player. And although your team does not look like it is going to win this series, you, Russell Westbrook, along with some other people, are doing your best to make it a real series. Norm make Powell. the Suns earn it. Norm Powell amazing in game uh three. Not so much in game four, but game three. Um then I'm thinking about how if they lose this series. All the late nights and excitement that we all felt four years ago when in back-to-back lightning strikes, the Nets signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and turned a moribund franchise into must-watch television. And before that, or after that, rather, the Clippers hit the literal Las Vegas earthquake, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard together. How all of that in four years may amount to four total playoff series wins combined for both teams in four seasons if the Clippers lose. And the Clippers are going to lose, I think, if Kawhi and PG don't play. And then I was thinking about how in three and a half hours, oh, just just a little thing, the Milwaukee Bucks are down 2-1 and Giannis has played 11 minutes in the series and he's coming back. This podcast will probably go up right before that game, so we're not going to talk about it. So I will say this, Ramona. If the Bucks lose tonight, the entire axis of the NBA universe is flipped on its head. I, for one, am assuming they are going to come out with a fierce urgency and win in Miami and even the series at 2-2 and calm the waters a little bit. But that's another injury. Then I'm thinking, boy, I got to start watching film of Boston-Philly, series we've all been gearing up for. For a long time. Then I remember, boy, oh boy, Joel Embiid, he's injured. And then right as I'm thinking all of those things, Adrian Wojnarowski tweets that De'Aaron Fox, clutch player of the year, averaging 31.5 points per game in the playoffs, carrying, along with Malik Monk, the Sacramento Kings offenses, Demonis Sabonis kind of struggles to find his way against the best interior defense he's faced all this season, has a fractured index finger, yeah. tippy of tippy top of his index finger in yep. his shooting hand. 
I think personally he's going to try to give it a go in game five. That's the vibe I'm getting, but you just don't know. It's his shooting hand and it's his dribbling hand and his everything hand. And Ramona, you were at game four in in San Francisco. I almost said Oakland. Apologies, Oakland. Uh, You know, I flew into Oakland. It's okay. Which I thought was, give or take, the game of the year in the NBA and one of the craziest NBA games I've ever seen. And I was so excited to talk about game five. And now, just as it was with John Morant's hand, wrist, whatever, in the Memphis Lakers series, which resumes in five and a half hours, this injury is more or less the whole thing. Like, I just don't think the Kings can win two out of three against the Warriors. I I don't know what their offense is with a limited De'Aaron Fox. Now, maybe he won't be that limited. He did play the last five minutes or whatever of the game with this injury and made a critical three-pointer and a floater and some free throws. What have you heard on De'Aaron Fox, and how are you, Ramona? You're not injured, are you? No, I'm doing okay. Um, got a little allergies going on, but you know everyone does this time of year. Um, so I, I was at the game. I, I didn't know Darren was injured because he, he was amazing the whole game. And um, I, you know, I've talked to to folks in and around the Kings and and close to him since since this came out. And it's you know they're all bummed, but I think I think the general consensus is he's going to find a way to play. He's, if there's if there's any chance that he can play, he's going to play. That's what I and, meant by give it a go. I don't necessarily yeah. guaranteeing he's going to play. I'm just saying I think he's going to do the stuff yeah. gearing up, trying to give but, it a shot. But then, you know, listen, I, I am not a basketball player at the level that the Aaron Fox is, but I have broken a finger before. Um, that hurts. <laughs> that really hurts. And especially catching the ball, shooting the ball. I know the idea is, okay, when you shoot the ball, it usually touches your, your index. Your middle finger is really the – the big, the big one, right? That's the one that gives a lot of power, but then the index finger is probably most, the second most important. And if it's the tip, that's, you know, when you, when you shoot the ball and you flex, like that's where you're going to feel it. So I think it's just going to really hurt for him to play through this. Um, I don't, I've seen Kobe Bryant play with all sorts of mangled fingers before. I mean, there was one where he like popped it back in on the sideline and then he was like, well, I'll just, shoot differently like how do you just shoot differently after all your years in the league like it can be done it's just gonna really hurt and I don't know how effective he can be as a shooter that way but one thing that I don't know if people paid a cl- uh, you know enough attention to because of the way that game ended because of the Draymond coming off the bench and then Draymond guarding Darren was Keegan Murray was really good in that game Zach and I don't know like Mike I, I feel like like, I don't know Keegan Murray very well. I'm not around the Kings enough to know if this is always how it is. But every time I talk to Mike Brown about Keegan Murray in a press conference or I hear, I see him talking about him, he, I think he's, like, really hard on Keegan Murray. Like, he was like, yeah, I cussed him out after the first couple. Sabonis <laughs> Sabon- like, is, too. They're all really hard on him, which I relate to because that's how I was as a player. Like, my coach always used to yell at me. And I was like, why is he so hard on me? Like, he's so mean to me. And I, I think it's a compliment, though. I, I I learned to take it as a compliment because, A, that means I think you can take it. And, B, they care. My my coach used to say, like, when I stop yelling at you, that's when you should worry. Like, when you're not relevant anymore enough for me to get worked up and yell at you. So Mike Brown was, like, pretty openly – yelling at him and then talking about Keegan Murray in the first two games of the series and uh, first three games. And then boom, game four, he was awesome. And I feel like that's why they care so much about him because this is, we're going to learn a lot about him in this next game because they're going to have to rely on him and Malik Monk. And I, I still think with that crowd in Sacramento and the way that they competed in game four, they really competed that game. 
this is still this is still a really good series. It's not it, it, a little bit little luster's been taken off with Fox getting hurt here, but I still I, I wouldn't hand this to the Warriors by any means. No, no, that's why I said I don't think they can win two of three. Mm. I don't even say that that strongly because no. the Warriors have just been so bad. They on the tried road. to lose that game last night. My goodness. Well, like, have you it, ever seen three? I mean, did you see? Did you see Draymond Green and Bob Myers on the court after the game? Like no. that. Com- so, from Draymond talked about it a little post game. I talked to Bob post game about it too. They, like Bob was like, "Hey, um, you're gonna have to tighten up a little bit here." Like, like Draymond was a left stuff on an island, which uh, which made him have to call that timeout, and obviously they didn't have a timeout. B, Draymond let De'Aaron get off a clean look from three late in the game when they're down four. And, it, like, g- give him the two. Crowd him a little bit. I mean, you're down – you're up four. The one that you don't want to do is give up a three. And he, he gave him way too much space there. And then even the last play, I, I don't know. There's There was so much about the last couple of plays. One, Steph shooting the ball with – I think there was 10 or 12 seconds left there. We're going to get there. I mean, We're going to get there because I, I want to do the full-on well, dissection because it was the game of the year. It, yeah. I'm just saying their offense has been very Fox depend- – yeah. It's like, it's been like Fox plus one shooter yeah. gets hot and everyone else chips in enough to get them over the finish line. And if Fox can't be like Fox Fox – it's just going to be tough for them to score enough to win two out of three. Could they? Could, but to get to seven, absolutely. And if they get to seven, then it's at their house. So I still think even a, a, here, a, if he doesn't play, like let's put that scenario in play. If he doesn't play, yeah, I just don't know that they have enough. If right. he plays at like seventy percent effectiveness, I do think they have enough to yeah. to to have a shot at two out of three, but I would pick the Warriors. I picked the Warriors in six at the start of the series because Sabonis just hasn't been able to get off in this series. Herder hasn't been able to get off. Harrison Barnes hasn't been able to get off. And oh my God, as many have noted, the poetry of Harrison Barnes potentially hitting that shot would have been off the charts. I know. And I thought it was going in on TV. And if he had made it, I want to live the alternate universe where he makes it (laughs) just because... You know Harrison and I yes. know Harrison. He's so polite and nice that I bet if he had made it, I I just hope he would have just lost control of oh, the would've. niceness and the politeness and just gone yeah. totally off about how he was the one cast out. He and Andrew Bogut were cast out they to were. make way for the superstar, which they should have done 100 times out of 100, but it just would have been fun. to. It's always fun to watch your most polite and under control friend lose control lose yeah. control there anyway so there was it's that it's like when, I, when you were watching croatia in the world cup right yeah that was that was i enjoyed that i enjoyed watching you just yeah you i would say you lost control i several times yeah uh i, I did and <laughs> so anyway none of those guys have been really able to get off other than monk and davion mitchell's had a fantastic series but it's not like he's gonna get you 25 no. it's not like he's replacing the offense so they're gonna need fox's points Somewhere, but Keegan Murray, man, that's the guy. That's the point I wanted to make. What respect you have to have for the Kings at this point. I know they lost both games in Golden State, and everyone was like, oh, game three's been, you know, they should win game three. Draymond's not playing. That's a tough ask. That's a motivated Warriors team at home. You're coming in, young team, first road, road playoff test. That's a tough ask. How many times in the fourth quarter last night did it feel like the Warriors had landed the Warriors knockout punch? 
the the sh- and by the way, their offense for portions of that game, yeah, was not as crisp. Like the Kings have made them make tough shots. The shot making from Clay and Steph and Poole last night, and I'm talking about like one on one. Like we got nothing else but our yeah. individual talent against your individual talent, and we're gonna make we're gonna make really tough shots. Euro step layups for Poole. Steph Steph had that one three where he dribbled up like with Harrison Barnes climbing on his hip. Like they look like two fish swimming next to each other, and then <laughs> Steph just shot, just stopped and hit a three. It was like like that's a normal thing to do. Clay hit a bunch of ISO long twos. Like they made them earn that win last night. And every time it felt like the Warriors had knocked them out, they came back right to the end with big shot after big shot after big shot. Fox made a bunch of big shots and, and Keegan Murray, as you said, like the response of that team in that environment was super impressive. So this is, um, you know, this from going to the arena there, the press seats are kind of up a few sets of stairs. And generally speaking, when it's a blowout, you want to get down the stairs before the game is over because you're going to get stuck in the foot traffic. Like all the play, all nothing, the- nothing. It's very, it's very frustrating to get yeah. stuck in the foot like, traffic. It, the foot, everybody's going up. Like all the fans are coming up the stands and then there's, there's, a, there's supposed to be a press elevator, but that just gets completely jammed the whole time. Um, and so I'm just anti elevator. If there are stairs, I want to take the stairs. Yeah. And, th- and there's not like good stairs to use there. So, so there's always this game of like, that they got this right. Like I can get up, I can get down to the press room where the interviews are before the game's over. And I, I was 10 seconds away from getting up. I was like, okay, I think, I think they got it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's come on. Everybody, everybody on press row. Let's all go together. And, and then I think that's when they challenged the call and they lost the challenge. And I was like, Ooh, maybe that was, maybe I shouldn't get up. Maybe there's still a little left to be played here. And I think all of the unraveling starts with the challenge that they should not have challenged, right? Like Looney laid out Malik Monk. And I thought Monk was initially, I thought, oh, Monk sold that. Yeah, like it didn't. Look. And then you even saw Draymond kind of on the broadcast saying to Kerr, I think he was moving. Like, like I think there was a recognition that Looney was moving. Don't challenge that. You don't want to lose that call, that time out there. It's not worth it on that challenge. And that just starts the whole thing because they lost the timeout. Steph didn't realize they lost the timeout. And all of, I mean, like I was kind of trying to make notes like Kendra Andrews and I were in the press room trying to rewatch some of these plays, you know, you go on NBA.com and where the stats are and you watch each one of those plays. And it was like, it was even stranger it rewatching it all, knowing how it ended because like we all thought the game was over. I mean, it looked like they had it. They, and and then they just this series of self-imposed stupid plays, the timeout, the shooting the ball. Like I think Steph was a little rattled by calling a timeout, and then he goes back out there, and and they could have run the. I think they could have run it down to two seconds, and he goes and throws up a, an off-balance floater, and and I know Steph likes to do the hero ball stuff, but that was like, whoa, take some time off the clock, like run it, run the clock down, and and they like Harrison Barnes was was really open there. Like that was a good look that he got from three. It's a great look. Great I mean, look. They didn't you're need not, a three just, there, you, but you every coach in the NBA in that situation yeah. signs up for a look of that quality. Like against a defense, yeah. against Draymond Green defending you at the point of attack. Like that's a good look. And it just is so fascinating on the margins that this stuff yeah. turns on. So let's um let's also I, I'm curious your take on the the defense on that last play. So at one point, like De'Aaron Fox was cooking everyone. And 
finally, I think Chris DeMarco and Dejan in the huddle go, you know, we should put Draymond on him, which is unbelievable that Draymond Green can guard somebody as quick as De'Aaron Fox. Ramona, I've been waiting for this the whole series. It was one of their go-to matchups in the regular season. I even said on the show on NBA Today last week, and I was in L.A., it's sitting there in their back pocket, and I thought they would use it by game three. I was surprised it actually took them this long to try it. And now they did it. And and so you have you have De'Aaron, you have Draymond on De'Aaron, and he's already given up a three because he he sort of usually lets you try to take a three because he doesn't want to foul. But this time you definitely cannot give up anything there. And I'm thinking De'Aaron's just gonna drive on him. Like you got the big out there in the lane. There's they tried to clear out as much as possible. Drive, try to try to foul. Like you try to draw a foul. I mean, like if if you're a, a guard who's as quick as De'Aaron. And you got Draymond on you. That that's what I would do all day long. But he doesn't drive. Steph he waits for the switch. Harrison walks over. Steph's on Harrison, and you see Steph kind of. Oh gosh, I don't want to. I, I can't switch. I can't switch. And it was just like two guys who played together for so long to 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 for Steph to get out of that situation to where Draymond was still on him. So they, they double Fox, leaving Harrison open, and it was like how quickly that could have turned. It could have gone so differently. Like if, if, if De'Aaron reads that quicker, he could, he could force Steph to have to take it. He could have driven on Steph. And it was like, just watching that unfold. I'm like that, that's the series right there. Well, that's the game. You think of how much different does that Harrison Barnes shot have to be like a a half an inch. It wasn't off by much. And that, and that's maybe it. That's maybe it. That's the Warriors going into the offseason yep. with a whole lot of uncertainty, with a payroll that is about to become, in terms of roster building, unsustainable because of this new CBA that's aimed squarely at the Warriors yeah. and the Clippers. Yep. That's it. It might be it. Just like last year, Jimmy Butler's shot goes in. I don't know what happens to the Celtics. That's an all-time bad collapse yep. in Game Seven of that of that series, in Game Six, but especially in Game Seven. Like that's the margins that decide these games. But I, I again, the Kings just they showed up and they kept fighting. And I have all this stuff, these X's and O's about what to look for in Game Five, and I just don't know how much is relevant without uh, without Fox. But to, to to let's can we revisit the last like two minutes of the yeah, game? Yeah, let's do it. Fox also, by the way, the the, the finger thing, you know, um, everyone wanted to see how the, the young Kings would respond to a situation like this. And, and Doris Burke, rightfully, I think, criticized a couple of their decisions late in the game, like Monk going kind of headlong for a yeah, layup. Is like, he here's did. the, and Harrison Barnes even pulled a three pretty fast, but he was looking for a two for one, I think, with like 35 seconds left, and they got the offensive rebound. And she was saying, you know, here's a young team that hasn't been there before. I actually, on balance, thought they got good shot. Like Fox missed a long two that was pretty open with like two minutes left. And he missed a floater that was really open with a minute and 20 left. Good shots for him. And this finger thing has me looking at those shots in a different light. Like does one of them go in? Yeah. I want to watch the video again because I think he heard with about two minutes left, there's a play where he kind of shook his hand. Someone posted it was like four and a half minutes left. Four and a half. Okay. Um, uh, At least that's the theory. So, so, okay. So here's, let's just, let's just go blow by bell. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. About a minute. And uh, 45 seconds left, I think. Um, Looney misses the dunk off the split yeah. action that they've run 100 times. Yep. The Kings come up with numbers, and I think they're down one at the time. Something, I don't know what they, I don't, I've lost track of what the score is. That's when Draymond 
kind of interferes with Harrison Barnes at the rim. Harrison Barnes misses. The rebound goes to Sabonis. Draymond blocks Sabonis. The Warriors come down. They run a Steph uh, Draymond pick and roll like at half court. Double Steph. How many times? You can close your eyes and see it. Double Steph. Pocket pass to Draymond. Yep. Looney's man steps up. Bounce pass to Looney. Or, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't think they even bounced it to Looney. I think Looney's man stepped up. And then Wiggins curled in around Looney as Wiggins' guy, who was Monk, went to account for Looney. Wiggins curled in, makes yep. a floater. Um, and then, of course, the ending sequence is just... I think that probably put them up by five, maybe. I can't even remember anymore. But the ending sequence was the timeout, which was like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Then the three. And to your point, the three goes in with 27.7 seconds yeah. left. And I have said this over and over and over again. Teams who get the ball back with like a three or four second differential and the lead and the other team decides not to foul, which is probably the wrong decision in like mm-hmm. cold analytical terms, should just hold the ball until there's one on the shot clock, heave a moon ball three, yeah. and if the three hits the rim, the game is probably over. Yeah, it's going to be a long rebound. I've I've come to realize that it must just be impossible to do that because nobody ever does. I think Mike Conley did it in one game for Memphis, I think in the playoffs, and it might have been against the Warriors. That's the only time I've seen anybody do it, and it worked. But I've just come to the conclusion that their defenses are too smart about forcing the issue, and that's why I thought Fox was really smart to go for that steal. I don't know if he meant it, but he forced yeah. Steph Curry to get into gear and Steph was like, "Oh, I guess I, I guess I should shoot now." And they got There's the, the ball back. Yeah. And I I think more teams should just hold it and launch a moon ball. Nobody ever does it. I just guess I guess people aren't wired to do that. And so he shoots way too early and I'm sitting there like, "I cannot even believe yeah. the Warriors are falling apart." Like the whole thing was just But there's still 10 seconds insane. left. Like 27 minus 24. We can do the math. Right? 3.7 seconds. There Three points. I've always said four is the sweet spot where it becomes a very hard decision whether you foul or not. Five, yeah. six, seven, you can play it out, depending on what the score is. And this is a one-point game. So it's it's the minimum possible score, obviously, um, to have this discussion. Four is like, maybe are we really going to be able to get a good shot off if we yeah. even get a stop here? It's probably not really going to be four when all of a sudden. Yeah, the Wiggins the floater I mentioned with 125 left put them up 126, 121. So they were up three when Draymond made like 14 consecutive insane defensive plays yeah. to, to keep the game. Then the technical, then the three, then the end. It was just a... It was just a, an absolute Yeah, the 126, 20, 121, that's when I wanted to go downstairs. That's when I was like, yeah, we could, we could go downstairs. We could, we, could, we could beat the crowd. No. Glad we stayed. I mean, the, the, the defense, though, like Draymond guarding De'Aaron Fox is an interesting card because I, I think once you play it, like you have to decide are you going to always play it because the Kings will just make an adjustment now. Like that's not something you can just do the whole time. Well, I mean – one thing, the Warriors, when they've gone to green on Fox, if Looney's on the floor, they've actually been willing to switch the Fox-Sabonis pick and roll, even uh. if it means putting Looney on Fox. Uh. And if that's the case, and this is why Fox, is, if he can't be like 100%, it's why it's such a, a blow for them. I'm just trying to engineer that. I mean, the Warriors will stop doing it if Fox hurts them enough, yeah. but he can he can blow by Looney. And I, I want to see I wanna, how good is De'Aaron Fox with his right hand. Like how good is he on drives to the basket, finishing with his right? I think he's, I think he's 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 a pretty ambidextrous kind of guy in terms of finishing at the rim. 
obviously not shooting. He's not going to Kobe Bryant out there with Kobe. Remember when Kobe used to shoot left-handed? Yeah, just for fun. <laughs> well, no, because he hurt his shoulder. I know that <laughs> and just for fun. <laughs> yeah, for fun. I don't think he's going to quite do that. But but if he can go right and drive right, it shouldn't matter that much. Um, you know, in terms of if Looney switches onto him and he's in, in those situations. I think Darren Fox plays. I think he has. I think he's a gamer. I think he's just going to be limited in terms of his shot outside. Because that's that's the one where you're going to feel it the most. What a series! This has been the series of the playoffs yeah. so far, and it's well played- also with so much at stake. Like you're in the building, and every single play, you're thinking, "Is this the end of the dynasty? Is this the end of the dynasty?" And there's all these poetic moments. I mean, you know, I wrote a column about Draymond offering up his spot. I thought that was pretty significant. I don't know how long they'll do that if he if he's right back in the starting lineup for Game Five. He might be. But the Warriors are moving to a world in which Jordan Poole is a starter. They're paying him like a starter. He's probably not the rest of his career. The only question is who goes to the bench if if Poole's going to start. And I know they've dabbled with that throughout the year. And sometimes it's been because Wiggins has been hurt or they just needed some more shooting or some more offense in the starting lineup. They, they usually find their way back to the two big lineup because that's just who Steve Kerr trusts. I but, loved, I loved, I wish people could see my game notes that I write during the <laughs> okay. game. Uh, that I type up each game because I'm sitting there and I was writing. I, th- I think he's over. I think they're overthinking it, but they didn't get back to Draymond and Looney until like a few minutes Second before half. halftime. Yeah. I think they played him for like a couple minutes in the first half. And I thought, I kind of feel like I, I get what they're doing, right? The Kings, the Kings defense has been up to task, up to mm-hmm. task. So bonus is moving his feet. They're switching when they should switch. They're handling the split actions. They're not getting caught cutting back door for the most part. And so we got to open up a little more spacing. And the way to do that is to separate Draymond and Looney. And yet, it's like that lineup works. We know yeah. that lineup works. I, I don't think you can go away from it to the degree they went away. And sure enough, you come out in the second half and Draymond is starting. I'm like, okay, that's, that's yeah. interesting. I don't know who I, – I, if, if I had to guess, I guess they start pool again just because it worked and like we'll figure yeah. it out if we have to go early to yeah. the double big lineup. But I, it was it, – it's it, – I mean – the Kings have stressed the Warriors to that degree that they're making these kind of changes and that, again, they won that game for the most part behind incredible individual shot making, good timely defense, but not as many of like the easy Warriors kind of like, yeah. oh, the split action pin down got Steph and Clay a wide open three. I mean, they got some of those, but they had to earn every single one of those 126 yeah. points. Um. I cannot wait to talk to Mike Brown when this series is over, whether they win or lose, because I, I, Mike was on the Warriors staff for several years. He knows those players really well. And I've, I love talking to him about what did you learn about defending LeBron by coaching LeBron? Right. You know, I, I remember doing when he was, um, when LeBron was about to break the all-time record, I called some of his old coaches, so Ty Lue and Mike Brown. And, and, and I asked him, what did you learn about defending LeBron from coaching LeBron? And he goes, well, you know, the, there's no way to stop him, but if you, he doesn't like it when you get up close to him and you get low and you're physical with him kind of low. So they would always kind of, when they were defending LeBron, like even if you put a smaller guy on him, if you kind of go at his legs a little bit, um, he found that to be something. And that was something you would only know if you coached him and you saw him up close like that. I think he, he knows, he knows some things about the Warriors from being on the inside that I'm going to be very curious to hear him talk about either. I don't know if it'll be an on the record conversational to one of us on a podcast, but um, he, he he's, he's 
he knows how to, how to slow them down in a way that I don't think, and not even slow them down, just make them uncomfortable. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, you want to go just through some a couple yeah, some st- stats of note? Go for uh, it. The series is now, Warriors are now plus seven for the series total in four games. So it's been a very close series. Yep. Defensive oriented. Uh, both their offensive ratings would be average or worse for the regular season. Um, Curry. Warriors are plus 45 with Curry on the floor and minus 38 in 34 minutes with Curry on the bench. Oof. That's pretty crazy. Uh, both versions of the Warriors starting five are solid plus. I'm just beginning to think it's just Curry. It's, a, it's yeah. just Curry. Curry's plus. If Curry's in the lineup, it's plus. Yeah, definitely. Sabonis, 16, 12, and 4.5 assists on 48% shooting. He averaged about 20-something in the regular season on 64% shooting on twos. So they've really limited him. And almost seven assists, so his assists are down. Steph in game four, the most recent win, ran 16 pick and rolls that's the fourth lowest of any game this season and if you do it per minute his lowest of any game this season and I did think they're letting the Kings get away with hiding Sabonis and Len on like Moses Moody and Gary Payton the second and even like there were some possessions where they were where the centers were on Draymond and Draymond was playing the five and they ran all their cute little stuff. And sometimes mm-hmm. you want to say, man, did you like you can't let Sabon- Alex Len get away with being on the floor. Like use Gary Payton as a screener and see what you can get. That said, they ran more. I bet you they ran more Draymond Steph pick and rolls with Steph as the screener for Draymond than they have in yeah, any the game. Reverse this pick and that, rolls, yeah. that has really worked for them in this series. Um, it's just been a fascinating chess match and I think the Warriors have made more moves than the Kings both because they have more moves to make they have just a bunch of different looks they can go to and yeah and the Kings just you know they took a 2-0 lead doing what they do and the Kings big move before the series and it's largely continued was we're going to spam you with pick and roll more than we have at all 
in this in this season. And Fox and Monk have both, you know, Monk especially is blowing away his pick and roll numbers, just going at Looney in drop coverage. But I don't I don't know what moves they have left in it, and it's hard to really project I mean, because it feels we just don't, like Sabo- we don't know what their best like player is going to. Yeah, they, it feels like it's a bonus time. Like it feels like. But this and then the you guy. ask yourself, but but how? Because right. dumping the ball to Sabonis with Looney and Draymond on him is a losing proposition. He's not going to score enough on those guys one on one. They're too good. Right. You want to say if you're going to run pick and roll, look for him in the pocket a little bit more. And if he's got a switch that's not one of those two guys, give him the ball. Like yep. there have been a few possessions where he's had good matchups and they haven't given him the ball. Give him the ball, especially can... especially if Fox is hurt. Yeah, or hurting. I, mean, I almost think, like he is capable of taking the ball and running and initiating the offense from the top, from the top. Like you could put him up top. You could give him the ball early to where he's taking people off the dribble. He's that kind of player. I, I do kind of, I do wonder a bit if there, if the, uh, the rib cage bruise, the sternum bruise, whatever, whatever you want to call that from the stomp is affecting him at all. Um, I know people were quick to dismiss that as this theater or something to get Draymond suspended. No, he was, he was hurt. And that I, 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 I don't think that was this wasn't WWE where somebody fake stomps on your chest like he really got stomped on the chest and you see the last couple of games it just hasn't seemed like the the same um I don't want to say energy level but it because the energy level puts it on him he just doesn't seem like the same player the last couple of games well look they're making it hard for him. They have two absolutely yeah. elite post defenders Draymond one of the greatest ever and Looney just playing the best basketball of his career the other stat i wanted to make note of um the kings took 61 combined free throws in games one and two and 41 combined in games three and four and that's just that's the story of the warriors all season at at home they foul less or they allow fewer free throws and teams don't shoot as well from three and and that was a big reason why the kings took a 2-0 lead and a big reason why it's now even but this is you just knock on wood that De'Aaron is going to wake up tomorrow and somehow feel less pain and feel good to go because he's had a magical season and the Kings have had a magical season and it would be nice to see them be able to at least give these last three games an honest go of it against the defending champs yeah um I I think this uh this this always felt like the best first round series I was thinking Phoenix and the in the Suns the, the Suns against the Clippers would be because at both those games it was they were kind what of a the, bummer just- what do the Clippers do this summer Ramona if they just bow out here both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have one guaranteed left, I know. Um, one guaranteed season left next year on their deals, and they have player options for the year after that. They're obviously capped out the wazoo. All their picks are are gone until you know. Actually, the last pick they owe is twenty twenty six. After that, they get control of their picks back. Yeah. You know, there's going to be this like, well, it's now time to move on and trade guy at Kawhi or PG, and you just like. The whole the whole league has watched them get hurt I every wouldn't. year. Like the whole the well, also like. Yeah. It, Every other team who would potentially want these guys and trade stuff for them has seen this whole saga play out. Like, why am I trading all the stuff that would make it worth your while if it seems like I can't count on them? Like, as soon as they needed Kawhi to play big minutes in the games that they've been gearing up for for two years, he got hurt again. And it's not, I'm not saying it's his fault. It just is. They're hurt. They're both hurt all the time. Like, there's no, there's, just no way to sugarcoat the reality that they're hurt. So, like, what do you think they do if um, they lose? If okay. they lose, yeah, and I think they're gonna lose. I mean, that's you know, that's I think, I think three one without home court advantage and your stars. Yeah. If they don't play, if if if, then, uh, yeah, yeah, but look, probably Phoenix gonna lose. to me um, looks pretty awesome for where they are in terms of number of games played. 
<laughs> together. They're, they're pretty good. They, my, my biggest question is just, are they playing too many minutes? Cause it, it, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, made a joke and I, we played that highlight on sports center of me asking him about playing so many minutes. He goes, how do I look tonight? I'm like, yeah, you look pretty good. Yeah. You looked all right. Um, but this is the first round and Russell Westbrook, Norman Powell, the guys in the Clippers, scrappy guys playing hard, making these competitive have forced Kevin Durant and Booker and Chris Paul to play more, way more minutes than you would want them to in the first round. They're exerting a lot of effort, but at least they're winning and, and they should close this out in the next game. Um, I, I think with the Clippers, two things you have to answer first before you talk about Paul and Kawhi. Number one, they're moving to that new building in 2024. I don't think you can underestimate how for the 24 25 season correct 24 yeah. 25 season so it, do you well, know that it ha- have you heard about the toilets Ramon? I have. it's got a lot of toilets i can't wait to go to the bathroom the intuit is it the intuit the what is it dome the I'm, intuit gonna, dome. I, I'm gonna try every goddamn toilet are you just gonna run around and go and pee yeah. everywhere i, I want to see how many there are how many games does it take me to use every goddamn toilet in that place I think there's like 11,000 toilets. <laughs> like more, well, you know, I'm going to find the best one. <laughs> I mean, the whole, the whole theory behind it is that Steve Ballmer does not want you leaving your seat. He wants you in your seat cheering as much as you possibly can. So hey, they Zach, make did it- you, did Zach, were you at the game? Do you have any angles you want to cover? I was, I was just in the bathroom the whole game. Sorry. I just was going from bathroom to bathroom. <laughs> Didn't see that. What happened? Somebody got hurt again. Oh, well, I was in the bathroom. I mean, there's so there's just toilets. Okay, so everywhere. they're moving to the dome and they want to be good. Is the yeah, point they want to They're be not going to put a dud product into right. that into that place. So I think that matters, right? Don't don't you think that matters? I mean, look, I, the like, most likely the most likely scenario is what the hell else are you going to do? Just keep running it back and hope that one year you get you get the breaks you need to break. And like yeah. everyone wants, Perk and I went back and forth about this the other day. Yes, this era as of now is a failure, given what they traded yeah. to build it. It also resulted in the longest playoff run in the history of the Clippers franchise. Like, and it was a not, great it, run. It's not nothing. It's yeah. not nothing. That Western Conference playoff, that, that Western Conference Finals run in 2021, I went to every home game there, and that crowd has never exploded the way it did. I mean, that, those, that, that was the best time of Clipper basketball ever. Really, ever. And okay, so you were you were saying I don't want to interrupt you, but you right. were saying they did Inuit Dome and, and something else. You're so I, say, I, I think, think they need to be good. I think they need to be relevant. You need to have some stars, and then so if, if you're not really going to get that much for Paula Kawhi this year, if you're if you're even thinking about that, because every every team in the league has seen them get injured, and so you're you're definitely not going to get back what you traded away, and and Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to haunt them forever probably because of how good he is and how well he's done in Oklahoma city, not to mention what those picks become, um, including Jalen Williams. Okay. Oh, the good, the right. best. Jalen Williams. One of, yeah, well, they're both good, but, but yeah, the one, the one that's on the all rookie team, first team. Um, I, I think, I, I think you keep Paul and Kawhi together because I don't think you can get back anything of, of real substance. Um, and so then you say, what, how, how much longer does, does Ty Lue want to be around for this? Is he, is he a happy person there in that spot? Um, I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. I think this, the way that this has gone with the, the, the constant, you know, just being in that press conference, I'll, I'll say it like this. Being in that press conference for game three, where 
he was asked point blank, when did you know Kawhi was not going to be available? And he said, this morning at shoot around. When did you know that it was a possibility that, that Kawhi might not play last night? I mean, it was, it, you could tell like this, you know, you, you don't have all this uh, communication back and forth on Kawhi Leonard. So it's kind of a, just a, oh, Kawhi's not playing tonight. It's, it's, it's not like a, a big ramp up, big organizational thing where everyone gets on the same page. That gets old after a while because it's, it's, it's been like that the whole time he's been here. And I'm not putting words in Ty's mouth or anything. I just, there's a level of competition that they all know they should be at. And because of these injuries, they have not been able to. And then, then you get into the, when people get frustrated, it's, um, when people get frustrated, things like this, weird things happen, right? Is that a good way to put it? When people get frustrated, weird things can happen. And so I, I don't know, I'm not, I don't want to report anything or say anything here. I just think the level of frustration has to be pretty high in Clipperland that once again, you're not seeing Paul and Kawhi in the playoffs and in the way that this, this tends to play out. Throughout we have the some year. breaking news. You want to talk yeah. about breaking news? I, I've been seeing them. I've been seeing them pop across the feed. Two, two Jante Murray news. has been suspended for game five against the Celtics. We will <sighs> just blow right by that. That was, I saw the video. You probably have seen the yeah. video of him bumping her up. That's a no brainer. As yep. soon as yep. I saw that video, I said, he's done. I texted yep. people on buzz. He's done. And Woj, uh, Reporting, Ime Odoka wow. has agreed to a deal to become. I now I have to check everyone's Twitter to make sure it's like the real Woj. I know, you know, um, well, to become the head coach of the Houston Rockets, which means he's not becoming the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, and Nick Nurse is not becoming the head coach of the Houston Rockets. Um, obviously, you and I, yeah, did a whole thing on the Ime Odoka situation in Boston, and um, this is not the time to 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 dive too deeply into that because frankly, like I wasn't prepared to talk, to talk about the Ime Odoka situation today. Um, but I, I can talk about it a little bit, I'll, but I'll, this I'll... is, yeah, go because this is, this is one, this is one you have to handle internally and yeah. externally in a very forthright manner of like, here's what we know happened in Boston. Here are the details and here's why we think it's okay. So I, I, you have to be able to answer these questions about what happened in Boston publicly, private, publicly and privately. And particularly and, to the female employees of your uh, organization. Correct. And 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 then you have to go and do that publicly. And so I remember um, I did a I, I do call-ins with the radio station up in Canada, especially when, you know, a coach gets fired and you, you, the, you're the national reporter. So I said yes to a couple of these. And and uh, every single question was about Ime and his past and, and what happened in Boston. And I could just kind of tell. This is like, when he was reportedly linked yeah, to the Raptors. Yeah, just reportedly as a, as a um, – as a favorite. And, and I remember doing these interviews and I was like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to go in Toronto. Like, I, like it's just, there's just certain media markets where I think um, the level of scrutiny and the type of awareness that the, the, the people, the, the reporters up in Toronto were all over that. Like that was, um, this wasn't just going to be a rubber stamp kind of thing. This was going to be highly scrutinized. And what um, and Eric, Eric Kareen of the Athletic t- tweeted yeah. something to this effect over the weekend. This is the Raptors are also a franchise that has been front and center. Yes, um, placing women into positions of power within the organization, and then and then trumpeting that rightfully so. I, I know most of those women; they're all amazing, yeah. and saying and essentially saying like, 
here are the like presenting this as evidence of how forward thinking they are as as an organization. It's also owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. It's a corporate entity, so there are different um, there are different HR rules for a corporate entity like that than there would. I'm I'm going to be totally honest right now, Ramon. I'm going to let you lead this because I I haven't had time to go back and look at my notes from September October when this was happening. So I don't even remember like the specific 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 specifics of what exactly I know transpired with Ime Odoka in Boston. I mean, I I can give the basics of it. I would I'd want to wade into that before I really really went into this. But you continue, please. So, um. I think the most important thing is you have to have he may has had all this time to think about what he would say or what he's going to say when he gets into his next job interview. Um, the situation in Boston, and this is, and this is something I wish I had the right reporting answer on, but I think it's been quite murky for those of us even who have tried to report on this is whether or not there's anything ongoing there. I mean, is that, is that HR investigation closed? I know they had a private and they, they said that they had an internal investigation, but is that closed? Is there any civil cases pending? If there are who are all any lawyers that are involved are not going public with this, but all of that really matters when, when you're talking about how you move forward from something like this, because um, he, I'm sure he would have to give those answers to his future employer in any interviews he does. But then you have to be able to do that if you get hired to the female employees of your organization and to the media. And you're going to have to do it a lot. You're going to have to explain a lot. And so I I just, even me doing those interviews in Toronto, I was like, whoa, I, I don't know if this is going to fly in Toronto. Like it was, it was like, you know, sometimes as the guest, you end up becoming like, like I'm being interrogated. Like I'm not, I'm just telling you what I know or what I think. Um, it was it was a uh, the, the level of scrutiny that was going to get in Toronto. I I kind of was skeptical after that that he would he would really be the the choice there in Toronto as as highly regarded as he is as a head coach. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a lot of franchises that want to hire Emo Doko as a coach. It's very highly regarded, but um, you know, just getting back in a very general sense about what happened there. I mean, it's um, without going over all the details and getting into it. First of all. I feel really bad for all of the women in the organization whose names got dragged into this that had nothing to do with it. There was all the speculation about and pretty much any woman who worked in the Celtics organization that you could find on an org chart. People's names got out there and there. I mean, that was that was rough. But also, like if he had an inappropriate relationship with a, with somebody who worked for him, um, you just you, everyone always asks this question of why is that a big deal? OK, if it were two consenting adults, people have had relationships that's a big deal because even when somebody worked for you and now this relationship ends what do you do in your career do you just keep you keep them in the same position are you gonna have to see them every day if you move that person to a different job is that seen as a demotion even if it's this is all the stuff you and i I would encourage people to listen to the episode you and i did in the fall where we talked about the the power dynamics of this and why it's more than just well, you know, they had an affair. Yeah. This is when when there's power People dynamics at play I mean, in the workplace, and we talked specifically now. You're yeah. jogging my memory about like, well, if if she's reassigned, like, yeah. well, that's that's you, that's a whole that's a whole separate potential legal issue. Like, yeah. there's there's all sorts of power dynamics at play here. 
like the specifics have never really come in. And I'll, I'll, I'll go peel back the curtain of how we usually find this stuff out as reporters is that usually there's a civil case and the, the attorney representing the person in a civil case will leak those details to the media, right? It'll be, it'll filed in court. Those details will come out, you know, by the person who has a civil case. So either there is one and we don't know about it yet, or there isn't one, but nobody's for, nobody has to tell anybody anything. Usually there's a, a motivation for details to come out. So I'm sure every newspaper in Boston has tried. I mean, I know I tried quite a bit to find out more of, of what went on. Um, and so you get the, you get the sense that it was handled internally and, and there's not a motivation to provide more details or for those details to come out. Um, and now he's been away from the game for a little bit. I know the, the Nets obviously took a, took a look at hiring him and, and, and backed away on that. The Rockets, the, the Raptors interviewed him, the Rockets are hiring him. And so I, there's no, there's no question about Ime Udoka's coaching ability. He's, she's regarded as one of the best young coaches in this league. I'm, I, 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 I want to say that I'm glad he gets a second shot because I don't believe in just ending somebody's career over, over something that we don't obviously know all the details here. All we know is the Celtics thought it was serious enough to do what they did to a coach who led them to the finals. And so I'll be interested to see what comes out next or what he says next, because you know, that, that interview, that press conference, that disclosure has not happened yet. Very interesting breaking news and that the Rockets are entering a pivotal off season in which they're yep. clearly going to try to get better. They owe their pick um, to the thunder next season from the Russ CP disaster. <laughs> and they have a good amount of young talent. And I think their young talent is actually a little underrated given how kind of messy it looked. And, and, and are you really. an LP fan? I'm an Alpi fan offensively. Yeah. I think I think the low hanging fruit. I think the low hanging fruit yeah. for them on offense is run more of the offense through Shengun. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the yeah. Rockets. It is a big summer. They have cap space. We know who they've been linked yeah. to. Um, speaking of that topic, uh, let's end with this. Um, we've all been looking forward to Philly Boston all year. I'm about to talk to Tim Bontemps. Yeah. I actually already recorded the Tim Bontemps segment on the Eastern Conference. By the way, I forgot to mention R.J. Barrett in that segment. R.J. Barrett, shout out to R.J. Barrett. He's playing awesome and bullying the hell out of Karis Levert. Um, what do we know about Joel Embiid's knee? So when he initially went down with this, he, it, it happened and he played through it. Okay. So it's, it's, it was something he played through, but you saw the injury. You could see it, um, you know, it live and he was kind of limping, but Joel falls a lot and he kind of looks, sometimes he looks hard getting up, you know, so he, that's kind of a standard thing for him. Uh, and so you never know which is an injury and which is, which is just him getting up slowly. Um, but he was, he was really sore afterwards. I think Tim Bontem said something like he, he had more ice around it than I realized they even had in the arena. Um, and they, uh, it's a sprained LCL. So that's your lateral collateral, collateral ligament LCL. Um, and okay. this, the hope was it was just going to be a week, maybe two, like maybe depending on how he healed and how he responded so far, the sense I get is that he's doing pretty well. Swelling's down. He's moving around pretty good. So it doesn't seem like a serious injury, but I mean, I don't want to have any, I don't know. There's all the CLs and a, you know, MCL. Well, and as we swelling is not a predictable thing. It can, you can, you can swell back up with playing one hard game. Yeah. Does he have Um, to wear a brace now? Um, He's got a, he's got a a new doctor's meeting in the middle of this week. So they'll see kind of where he is, but the injury happened on April 20th. 
I think the Celtics now look like they have a pretty commanding 3-1 lead, and now DeJounte Murray is not going to play. So if they close out the Hawks here in five, Saturday is when that playoff series starts. So he got hurt on a Thursday. That's 10 days, nine ten, days, nine, 10 days ish. That's a little soon. I mean, I, I think it was thought to be just a week, but I could see a miss game one, depending on how he's doing. I could see that. Um, but it'll, you know, I know he wants to play and I know that he'll do everything he can to try to play. Um, I, I just think being there for game one is not as important as being there for the rest of the series. So if it's, if it's, if it is that quick of a turnaround, um, what Doc Rivers said the other day was right. I mean, it, you know, it's 50, 50, he's there for game one, just based on how quickly the, the Hawks Celtics series wraps up and how quickly the, um, the next series starts. Obviously their margin for any kind of setback against Boston is very, very slim. The Celtics have owned that matchup, although I've yeah. said many times on this podcast, I don't put that much stock into the Celtics um, record over the last four years against the Sixers in terms of what it means for this playoff series um, that we've all been looking forward to. I've also said I, we're waiting, and it's going to happen for the Embiid playoff scorched earth campaign. It's going to happen yeah. at some point. If they keep giving him good teams, there's going to be a season where he stays healthy and he puts it all together in the playoffs, and it's just like every game is a rampage. And I was hoping this would be that season. Maybe it, maybe it still will. But I, you know, given the way Harden looked at least on two point shooting against Brooklyn, it's hard to imagine them beating Boston without Embiid for like six of the seven. They need him for almost every yeah. game, and they need him to play well almost every game because Boston yeah. is really, really good. Boston's really good, and I think it comes down to Tyrese Maxey. Maxi has been pretty damn good. I mean, he really oh. he really carried them in those in games three and four. Closed um, out the Nets. Closed him out, and I I think he's a he's a guy that's due for the bet. You know, he's he's due for the proverbial bag this summer. He's a he's a extension eligible. He's he's a key piece of their future, and I think he this is the part where somebody else has to probably carry them in the first part of the series. Now, the first two games in Boston are going to be tough anyway. Um, Anything can happen in one game. Yeah. That's the thing about one game in these playoffs. It's just like it, it. It's what I said about Game Three of Clippers Suns when it seemed so hopeless. Kawhi got ruled out. And you're like, yeah. At one game, like Norm Powell can. I think Norm I said Powell that Norm Powell 42. can go crazy and like you might sneak out a win. Yeah. They didn't. But if you can just find a way, Tatum ha goes six of thirty. Like you just get a random one game thing. Suddenly you've you've held the fort. Yeah. You know, and anything can happen in one game. So I also think if you want to get into the Doc Rivers, uh, Doc Rivers talk about targeting in the NBA, about targeting stars. I definitely don't want to get into Doc Rivers talk about not playing with your meat. I would rather <laughs> talk about anything else than that. I don't, you know what? I've talked enough about groins and groin shots and flagrant fouls. And we also fouls. talked about toilets today and you peeing everywhere. And so there, I, then know. there was like another one with Dylan Brooks who like, can, I, I just, I don't know. I, do, I actually, so I actively don't want to talk about what Doc Rivers said. I don't, not, no, not, no offense to Doc Rivers. I just don't want yeah. to talk about flagrant fouls and hit people hitting other yeah. people in the groin anymore. Yeah, I just, when you have Joel with a knee injury, how do you, how do you stop Joel? You you hack him. I mean, this, he. Well, look, clearly covered... the clearly the Nets were. Yeah. The, they were doing like the Jordan rules almost on Embiid. And by the way, 
the Clippers are beating the hell out of Durant yeah. in this series, and they're paying for it with free throws. And I actually think, although the Nuggets are miles better than the current version of the Clippers, I actually think the Suns are going to feel a little bit of physical relief against Denver. Not not huh. any other kind of relief, but I just don't think that series will feel like this one does. I don't think their guards are going to beat up. They they just don't have the same kind of physical, yeah. just beat the crap out of you guys. Yeah. I think well, the, first of all, Kawhi I think the was healthy for the first two, so he was... Yeah. He's I think really the Suns will get into that series and be like, oh, yeah. this feels a little better. Now, the team that we're facing is a different animal, and that dude with the ball yeah. who's throwing passes around our ears is a whole different thing. But, like, this feels a little better. But, yeah, the, Embiid was getting beat up. There's no question. I mean, it reminds me of peak Shaq. Like, because I covered those Shaq Kobe years. And, like, there's this there's this part when you're really big and tall and dominant that that's, that's what people do. And I think they did it a lot even more to Shaq because he couldn't make free throws. You know, it, it was it, it's it's I don't think it's talked about quite enough how good a free throw shooter Joel Embiid is like that is you can't just hack him the whole time because he, he makes what's he, 80, 80 percent, 85, something like that. Between 80 and 90. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a really good free throw shooter for for a big. Um, but I but I do think there is um, he, if he's going to be wearing it, if you already know he has a knee injury. That's something you need to watch in this series. I, I do think Boston will not guard him the way the Nets did in terms of sending the double teams flying at him right. from you know before the ball even gets there. I think they'll I think they'll mix up defenses a little bit more. And I think what, what we saw from them playing Horford and Time Lord together for extended minutes for the first time against Atlanta the other day is yeah. could come into play against Philly because I, I like that alignment. I like the idea of like a Horford on Embiid and Rob Williams on PJ Tucker kind of looming mm. in the background. Um what a day. All right, Ramona, go home to your to your beautiful children and your and your husband and, and stop talking to me. I appreciate you making a little time though. Yeah, it was fun. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement. Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, let's go back to the Eastern Conference, which is in a little bit of a state of chaos. It's 1.15 Eastern time as we record this. In about six hours, the Bucks and the Heat will tip off. With Giannis returning from injury, reportedly, and if the if the Bucks don't win this game, woo, we're gonna have to reconvene and talk about it and see what the state of the East looks like. <laughs> because on the other side of the bracket, in a series that has been one for someone who likes defense and physicality and ugly ball, the New York Knicks, with two resounding home wins over the weekend, have taken a commanding three-one lead over the Cavs, who could not figure out how to score. Jalen Brunson has been the best player in the series, even though he's shooting 28% from three. Nobody, least of all Julius Randle, can make a three-pointer to save their lives in this entire series. Tim Bontemps, how are you? 
I'm doing well, Zach. Not as well as the fans who have been shutting down Seventh Avenue after these games the last couple of days, but I'm I'm doing well, man. It's good to Bing good to be on with you. Bong. The Knicks are back, <laughs> baby. I'll tell you I what, like, the fans I, I are like, back. I like that whole crew. I like the whole rowdy crew. Don't well, you wish you came to the Knicks, KD? Hey, KD. Well, it was amazing. So for so for people who remember that side talk video from when the uh the Knicks beat the Celtics a double overtime to start of last season. People were initially thought the Knicks were going to roll through the year. Obviously, last year did not go very well for the Knicks. Uh, one of the guys in the video had this rant about KD and don't you regret not signing with the Knicks. And after game three, he reappeared on 7th Avenue and asked the same question again in front of a, in the middle of a mosh pit of people. And they they were having a lot of fun. And look, man, like I saw Jeff Van Gundy before Sunday's game, went and talked to him and Breen and Mark Jackson and. I asked him, hey, like that crowd on Friday seemed like the finals back in 99. And he said, I think it was better than the crowd during the finals. Like as you I mean, you're obviously in the area too, Zach. Like there are so many Nick fans here who are just absolutely dying to have a real championship level Knicks team to root for. And the the Knicks aren't there yet, but they're on the path to that, I think, really for the first time since that 99 finals team in being at those two games at the Garden this weekend, the energy was incredible. The atmosphere was great. And the Knicks, you know, the Knicks are playing like the 90s Knicks. They're physically dominating the opponent and winning slugfests. And everybody here is fired up about it. Look, here's where we are. They're beating the superstar guard that they didn't trade for. Mm-hmm. And the guard they signed for free, not money-wise, but asset-wise other than cap yep. space, is outplaying the guard they didn't trade for. And they still have all the assets that they didn't trade for the guard they didn't trade for. (laughs) So win or lose going forward, they're looking like they're in very good shape. Um, And yeah, the Knicks fans are going bananas and they should. This is a sustainable, good team that has not, that is up 3-1. Both teams so far in this series are scoring at a rate that would have ranked dead last. Sub Hornets, sub Hornetsian (laughs) in the regular season. One team is just a little bit less worse on offense than the other, and that team is the Knicks. The Cavs cannot score, just can't score. Can't find a lineup they like, can't find a defensive game plan they like, but mostly they just cannot score. And here's the thing, they're down 3-1, it's bleak, it's bleak, looks bleak right now. But the thing about having home court advantage is 3-1 is overcomable when you have 5-7 and at home. You just got to win 5, force the Knicks to come back and close it out in 6, and if they don't, all of a sudden, you got Game 7 home. It's much different being down 3-1 the way the Hawks are down 3-1 or the Wolves are down yep. 3-1 after staving yep. off elimination last night. So the big question that we have to dive into is, why can't the Cavs score and what can they do to start scoring at an acceptable rate? I have some ideas. I would like to hear your ideas because this offensive performance is... You know, look, we all know the Knicks aren't guarding anybody who's not named Garland or Mitchell. Whichever whichever fifth perimeter. guy, J.B. Bickerstaff, he spins the wheel and a new guy comes up and he throws him out there. It doesn't matter who it is. Look, okay, the same look, result. Look, you know what it's time for, Tim? <laughs> what is it time for, Zach? <laughs> Dean Wade. Your company's accounting, man. Dean Wade. It's time See, for you know, Dean Wade because Ricky Rubio can't cut it. Jetty well, Osmond is minus 10,000 in the series. 
Karis mm-hmm. LeBert is fine and needs to play. Isaac Okoro is fine and needs to play a little bit more. Danny Green, I'm sorry it hasn't worked out. If there's yep. going to be a third, it might be time to resurrect Dean Wade. You know, it's funny. Dean Wade is a guy nobody really knows about, right? He's sort of a nondescript. He sounds like a, a NBA 2K created player, right? There's this guy, Dean Wade, who's on the team. Um, but that being said, a, a, sort of a significant part of the story of the Cavs this year, I think, is that he hurt his shoulder earlier in the year and he just never got right. Never got back. He had the skill set to be the exact guy that they need. Sort of like, obviously, Lowry Markkinen has shown this year he's a far more talented player, but they essentially last year had Lowry Markkinen be a big wing who could stay in, stay in the way on defense and hit open threes on offense. And that, Dean Wade at least had the ability to do that in theory. And physically, he's just never been right. And so I, I don't think we're ever going to really see what that could have looked like. But look, that's been, you know, our buddy Brian Winters has been talking about this all season with the Cavs. That's been the story of the Cavs all season. They can't find that fifth guy. That was and the story fun- of the Cavs the minute they made the Donovan Mitchell trade. Yep. It's like, can Isaac Okoro shoot? And if he can't yep. shoot, what are they going to do? And they yep. haven't answered the question. They haven't, and they haven't answered it. And to your point, you know, you look at that game yesterday, game four, the Knicks were running away from anybody who was catching the ball in the corner, letting them shoot it, double teaming Donovan Mitchell, going at Darius Garland. They're like, hey, one of these guys hits six, seven threes, fine. We'll live with that. We're not going to let these guys get going. I mean, the Cavs did have some success with some small, small, small pick and rolls earlier in the series. I'd like to see him go back to that a little bit more. The one right, time let's they stop, success, Let's stop there because that's sure. the most interesting thing that's happened in the last two games. Yep. The small, small pick and rolls won them game two. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they targeted Jalen Brunson. The whole series has just devolved into where's the little guard? Bring him to me. That's the whole series. It's just like it's it's kind of boring if you don't like that kind of basketball because it's just all right. Yeah. Where's Darius Garland? And then okay, where's Jalen Brunson? And then in game three, Tibbs decided I'm not going to make them hunt Jalen Brunson. I'm just going to put Jalen Brunson on Darius Garland because otherwise. They're bringing him up into screens. And I'm just going to say, here's Jalen Brunson on a platter for your point guard. Yep. And and J.B. Bickerstaff in game four said, huh, that's interesting how that worked um, for them because we stopped bringing Jalen Brunson into as many pick and rolls. Let's do the same thing. Let's put Darius Garland on Jalen Brunson so they don't have to hunt him. We'll give We'll give our guy to their guy on a silver platter. And it didn't work. And right. I think that it didn't work speaks to the difference between all of these guards. Garland and even Mitchell are really good. Obviously, they're incredible scorers. But their one-on-one game is different from Jalen Brunson's. They're not a bruising, physical, ISO, mid-rangey type players. Donovan Mitchell can be that player with a head of steam. That's not really Garland's game. Although nope. I do think I do think the Cavs need to lean a little bit more into our spacing is f- their way. Let's just let these guys cook wow, a little bit. You. Look at you. Yeah, I'm, I'm the... fired up. It's Monday. I'm tired. I'm jet lagged. Let's just let Poor these guys Stanzik. cook. Poor let let these guys training. cook one-on-one a little bit. I do think they need to try that. But they're more liable to um, get good shots in rotation. In other words, let's set a pick and roll with Brunson where they got a hedge. We catch the ball on the move. Brunson's like rotation, rotation. I don't need that. Just give me the ball, and I'm going to yep. do my footwork stuff. And so it's been interesting to see how – they 
both coaches did the same thing. And for one coach, it worked to kind of confuse Cleveland's offense because this weapon was taken away from them a little bit. And for yep. the other coach, it didn't work because Jalen Brunson's like, oh, cool. I just have Darius Garland on me now. That's great. I don't have to look for him. Well, and to me, the, the word you used when you said bruising and bullying, that's why the Knicks are up 3-1 in this series. It's not, to me, like there are offensive issues for the Cavs. There were plenty of them, obviously. But the Knicks are winning this series because they are bullying the Cavs at both ends of the court. They're playing. They're the far more physical team. Hold on. Hold on. I've, got, I've got a new, I've got a news bulletin. I've got a news bulletin. Okay. Mit- Mitchell Robinson. just Yes. He just pushed Jared Allen out of the way and got another <laughs> offensive rebound, even though the game is not going on. Mitchell Robinson got another offensive rebound. I mean, look, coming into this series, I thought the two biggest keys were could Mitchell Robinson dominate the glass because the Knicks were one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. And Don and Mitchell Robinson was the second best offensive rebounding big in the league behind Steven Adams. He is completely in the Cavs are a bad defensive rebounding team, even with the two bigs. Mitchell Robinson has smoked them inside. And Josh Hart, other than the one oh game God. when he was dealing with a sprained ankle, has absolutely terrorized the Cavs with his physicality at both ends between Garden Donovan Mitchell on defense and just relentlessly hitting the boards on offense. That's why Cleveland is losing this series. They are just getting manhandled at both ends of the court. And if that doesn't change, that that, that has to change before you fix any of this other stuff. Because if you're going to run out there, this Evan Mobley, Jared Allen lineup for so much of the game, which they are, and you're still going to be getting killed on the boards and losing the physicality battle, that's the whole point of playing with two bigs is you're going to win the rebounding battle. You're going to be the more physical team. You're going to be the bigger team. And they're, they're just getting beaten up by the Knicks and it, it's really shown throughout this series all right let's be clear on a few things number one the Knicks are rebounding 37 percent of their own misses which Ooh. is like it's like having two Steven Adams on your team it's just wild they're getting to the line at a rate that would have been number one or number two for the whole season and they're very good at that and they're winning that battle the Knicks bench has been phenomenal and wildly outplayed the Cavs bench. Now, partly that's because Brunson plays a lot of minutes with the bench. I, but if you can, I pop in. Can I pop in real quick with pop, that? Pop, pop. In two of the in two of the three Knicks wins, Emmanuel quickly didn't make a basket, including yesterday in Game Four. And after the first half of Game One, Julius Randle is fifteen for fifty-two from the field, and is six for twenty-five from three. If I had told you those two things before the series started, you would have said this might have been a sweep. At minimum, yeah. you'd said, well, the Cavs are definitely going to be up 3-1. Like, they're going to be in control of the series. It's just wild to me that the Knicks have put themselves in this position when two of their key guys, and the bench has been great, but I I think, I mean, Josh Hart has come in and been incredible whenever he's played. But it, it is just amazing that some of these foundational things for the Knicks have not worked very well. And like you said, Jalen's not hitting threes. Like, that, the Knicks haven't shot the ball Nobody's well hitting at any threes. point. Right? Nobody's hitting threes. The Knicks are shooting 27%. The Knicks are shooting 27% on threes. The Cavs are shooting 31%. So it, it's not even like the Cavs can be like, well, the Knicks will cool off from three. Nobody, they're shooting worse. The right. Knicks are shooting worse. Um, <laughs> right. Quickly has the best plus minus in the whole series, plus 41. Toppin, who closed yesterday over Randall. He's been great. Has been fantastic. Hartenstein has the second best plus minus in the whole series at plus 23. The be- and, and that's partly because they're playing well. Partly because they're playing a lot of minutes with Brunson, and the Knicks cannot score any baskets when Brunson sits. They have nope. no op- their their offensive rating without Brunson. If I read it to you, you would think I was kidding. It's so bad. <laughs> um, and and partly because the Cavs bench is a disaster zone. To that point, Mobley and Allen combined plus ten for the series. The Cavs' yep. best four players 
have played 98 minutes. That's a little bit more than half the series. They're plus 12 in those 98 minutes. Every other lineup is getting destroyed. They yep. just can't find the fifth guy. So I guess the big, let's go back to the big question. How can the Cavs score more points and who should play? I mean, I think some of it does come back to the physicality part, right? Like the Knicks, because the Knicks are winning the physicality part, they're getting offensive rebounds, they're getting foul shots, they're able to, to grind the game down. I think the Cavs, at every possible opportunity, need to get out in transition. They need to run. Ding. I think they won. I, I think they need to try to get, you know, they had the one time they had success in game four was when they started running pick and rolls at the start of the second half with Darius Garland and Jared Allen, and they were getting Mitchell Robinson away from the basket. Now, the reason that worked is because Julius Randle was basically planted in cement and just watching either Darius Garland or Jared Allen get to the rim for a layup or a dunk over and over again, which is, I think, part of why he was not on the on the court in the fourth quarter. Uh, when Obi Toppin played very well and Tibbs rode him to the end. Um, but they have to, to me, they have to do that. They have to give Mitchell Robinson away from the basket. They have to get out and run and transition. And the other thing is, Donovan Mitchell just has to be, in particular, a lot more aggressive. Like, he he missed some open shots in Game 4, but if you told me that in a game at the Garden with the Cavs season on the line, Donovan Mitchell was going to sort of be invisible, especially in the second half, where he didn't even really try to make his imprint on the game, I would not have imagined that would be the case. If anything, I would have thought it had been the other way. You'd have been trying too hard to really do stuff with the ball. And obviously the Knicks were throwing a lot of doubles at him. He was making the right play. Guys were missing shots, but it was pretty surprising to see how, I don't know if passive is the right word, but how uninvolved he wound up being in particular in the second half of that game. I just never imagined that we would have seen that. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell after game one, when he was outstanding has scored 50 points in three games. So 16.7 points a game. On 20 of 48 shooting, and he has nine free throw attempts. Attempts, not makes. Attempts. Right, attempts. In three games. And I think part of this is, look, the spacing's just not going to be good. It's not going to be good. No. Nope. You, you have the two big guys out there. It's just they've lived with this all year. Clearly, yep. J.B. Bickerstaff is hesitant to put Okoro out there with the two big guys and have three total zero shooters on the floor at the same time. I yep. think he's going to have to play that group more because Okoro's just – too good defending Brunson and really the yeah. only good option they have defending Brunson. Heck, at times in game four, he was actually aggressive attacking. You know, he would catch the ball in the corner. He would attack the rim for some layups. Like there were stretches where he looked and, and okay look, out there offensively. He will make a corner three. Like if the yeah. Cavs are going to come back and win this series, he's going to have to have two games where he's two of five on corner threes. Does It doesn't have to be, you know, he, he turns into like Danny Green for two games, not no. like Spurs Danny Green, not this Danny Green. He's just got to hit a corner, a couple corner threes. Um, and, and you know, look, you, if you're going to have three non-shooters on the floor, it's got to be those three. Don't, it can't be Rubio, Okoro, and another big man. That kid, like, that's over. They're just not even right. going to guard Rubio. They're going to pretend Rubio's not on the floor. Right. Um, but I think these guards are just going to have to be more aggressive. And, and to your point about bringing Mitchell Robinson into the pick and roll, one thing I liked in that stretch from both Garland and to a lesser extent Mitchell was they drove at Mitchell Robinson, head down, decisive. And look, mm -hmm. I get that's hard. Mitchell Robinson's gigantic. Josh Hart is behind you if you're Donovan Mitchell on your hip. Like you feel yep. that he's a big dude, not, you know, or if it's Garland, it's Jalen Brunson, who's a small dude. But and then you get. Right to the foul line, and Mitchell Robinson's waiting for you. He's got his arm spread. 
There's Obi Toppin in the lane, not guarding Evan Mobley. There's uh, whoever not guarding it. And it's kind of like, A, too bad. You're going to have to make hay out of this. That's what you do. You're a star guard. And B, I did think there were a couple possessions where if you get that deep in, like there was one where Donovan Mitchell attacked a drop. He kind of snaked it like Chris Paul likes to do, left mm-hmm. to right, and pulled up for an 18-footer. Because that's he, he looked around and he said, here's Mitchell Robinson. Karis Levert's in the weak side corner. They're not guarding him. His guy's in the lane. I can't get any further. I have to take the shot. And that's cool. He's got to take it and make it. There were a few possessions like that where I thought to myself, there's like 15 on the shot clock. Pass the ball to Karis Levert wide open in the corner because even if he doesn't shoot, let him pump and go and just like get the machine moving yep. a little bit. Mobley had one where he forced an ugly jump hook and Donovan Mitchell was wide open in the corner. Like on some of these possessions, they're one pass away and it's not like a great option. It's not like you feel like, oh, I'm passing to a knockdown shooter or someone who's going to dunk the ball. It's just a pass to like, just keep it moving and see if we can get it moving a little bit. And I feel like they can, they could stand to do that. But to your point, bringing Jared Allen up, particularly on empty side pick and rolls where the help assignments are a little more, more complicated. You saw them during that stretch. They didn't just like walk it up and run a pick and roll. They got Garland running off flex screens and coming up so that he's mm-hmm. got a little airspace before he gets the ball. Just more of that, more pace, a little bit more creativity. I, I just They just got to crack it open with like sheer star power, I think, at some point. I, they have to. I mean, look, they, like you said, this team is built on the defensive presence of the two bigs and the offensive presence of the two guards. That's what got them to this point. The defense has been pretty good. It's not like the Knicks are going crazy offensively. Now, obviously, the Knicks could have a better shooting game. So could the Cavs. But the Knicks have more guys who are going to potentially hit shots. Um, But Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are good enough to take over games and win games. And they have to do that. And by the way, obviously, it's not looking great for the Cavs right now, being down 3-1 in the series. But the thing that I would probably be most frustrated about if I was a Cavs fan, and I assume the Cavs are as well, those two games this weekend were winnable games. The Knicks did not play great in either of those games. Like no one's playing super great. Hard. No right, one's playing but my, great. I, right, but my point is, it's not like the Knicks played an A game and won at home, right? They played a couple C-plus games and won at home. Like, they, they played super hard. They're, they've been dominant physically in the series, but there's a lot of money left on the table for the Cavs. And, like, I like to me... It's obviously you got to look at it as a one game at a time thing, but like if I'm the Cavs, I go home and I think, look, I couldn't have played worse in these two games of the Garden. Both games were tied in the third quarter, despite playing terribly for the first half in both games. Like if they come out and execute the way we're talking about and fix some fairly basic stuff, they can absolutely win game five. And then they got to just win one game at the Garden. Like you said, it's not like they have, you know, if you chop it up like that it's more manageable to think about than, well, we got to win three games in a row. Like I, I do think there's a world that they do it, but they just have to, like you said, there's some of this basic stuff. They just have to do far, far better because we know what the Knicks are going to do. The Knicks are going to be playing incredibly hard. They're going to be crashing the glass. They're going to, you know, Jalen Brunson's going to be doing his, you know, Moses Malone or uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, dream shake footwork moves to get shots. Like, we know what the Knicks are. The Cavs have to get back to who they are, and they got a chance. Here we are in the year of our basketball gods, 2023, and Tim Bontemps <laughs> mentioned Moses Malone and Akeem Olajuwon well, I, I, in I the same sentences. Jalen Brunson. I, I Brunson. About Moses Malone, but and I didn't Akeem. laugh. 
that's how good Jalen Brunson has been. I didn't laugh. Well, look, here, here's the other story. To your point about the guards, second year in a row, Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell are meeting in the first round of the playoffs, and Jalen Brunson is killing Donovan Mitchell. Like, that. that's the story, really. Like, Donovan Mitchell, the Cavs got Donovan Mitchell to win them games like this. And people in New York wanted Donovan Mitchell last summer because they wanted to win games like this. And game four, Cavs down 2-1. Donovan Mitchell went five for 18 and Jalen Brunson had 26 points and hit huge shots down the stretch and led the Knicks to a win. The other thing I would like to give the Knicks credit for defensively is the Cavs realize that they're just getting strangled. The spacing is, is, is smothering them. And so if you watch, there'll be a main action on the ball, like a Garland two-man game, a Mitchell two-man game. And on the weak side, the Cavs are trying to occupy the Knicks defenders with what coaches call fluff, which is just decoy action. Like, oh, here's Evan Mobley setting a pin down for Karis LeVert. And the Knicks are just completely like, that's cool. We don't care. Like, we're just going to, you're not fooling us with any of this. We're just ignoring it completely. And there has to be a way for the Cavs to exploit that. Like, you can't just let the Knicks, you got to run that stuff with some intention of like maybe actually using it if the Knicks are not going to guard it. And to that point, there was one possession in the third quarter, about halfway through, where it, this is just simple stuff, but it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. This is like really intense basketball. The Knicks are an amazing defensive team in this series, anyway. They're actually like below average by a bit in the regular season. When Mitchell and Allen on the right side of the floor ran a pick and roll, and I think this was just improvised. I don't think there was any planning to this because it was late in the shot clock. And Mitchell Robinson came up because it was Jared Allen screening for Donovan Mitchell. There's a lot of Mitchells, too many Mitchells. Okay. <laughs> and Donovan Mitchell, instead of attacking it, which I've been saying he should do, immediately was like, all right, Mitchell Robinson's now at the three-point arc. Boom, swing. Darius Garland caught the ball, lane open, isolated on Brunson, and beat him off the dribble. Like, setting up Garland to isolate with the rim protector already gone was, I think, an accident, but a really smart accident that if I were them, I would try to engineer a little bit more. But yeah, they just... They just got to be a little better. And the Knicks, because the, the Knicks are going to start hitting shots soon. I'd love to see the Knicks find ways to get Randall going because this Randall thing is, we all knew the playoff crash was coming to some degree, but this is just like, this, this, now he's, and well, he's and recovering from an ankle injury. He's banged up. I realize right. that, but there, there are well, ways the to get him going. Well, that's the thing, right? So I thought whoever won game three was going to have a massive advantage going into game four for two reasons. One, it's obviously a super physical series. So, on a quick turnaround, if you can win game three, you're going to, you have a chance to really have some momentum, which you don't always do in a seven game series because it's such a short turnaround. It's basically a 36 hour window. And, you know, the, the downside of that for the Knicks was Julius Randle just absolutely did not look right in game four. And you have to wonder, you know, Tim said, Tom Thibodeau said after the game, he's still feeling this ankle. He certainly did not look like he could move around great. And with a couple days between these games going into game five, you would think that it would give Julius a chance to, um, you know, get his legs under him and play a little better. Because, yeah, like I said, that's the crazy thing. He has been very bad since the first half of game one, and the Knicks are still in control of the series. If he has a good game in game five or game six and he starts hitting shots and they start hitting threes, you know, it's going to be very hard for the Cavs then because, like we said, this series is really just about trying to get to 100 points on both sides. It's just such a struggle for either side to score that 
if the Knicks can get Julius on top of some of the the stuff that they're probably going to have automatically from how hard and physically they're playing, it's going to make an uphill climb for the Cavs that just that much harder. Evan Mobley's short roll game is like short circuited. Like something just malfunctioned in his brain. Like he gets the ball in open space and he's like, okay, I'm going to throw the ball now and it hit backboard. Like this, he's just yeah. like, he's, is it a floater? Is it a pass? Like nobody knows. Um, I will say, I've heard from a few executives in the last 72 hours as the Cavs have fallen a little bit apart, kind of parroting the line of how come they didn't do anything at the trade deadline? Are they like, look at the Knicks who went out and got Josh Hart, you know, traded a first round pick, real stuff for Josh Hart. Cam I'd say the Knicks are happy they're giving up the 23rd pick in the draft for, for Josh Hart right now. And 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 these people are saying, well, why couldn't the Cavs like they didn't really want to upgrade their team at all? Like, what what were they doing? And on the one hand, they they looked around. Like, I heard I heard names worse than Josh Hart. I heard like Joe Harris, who can't make a shot in the playoffs for whatever reason. Um, but you look at the Cavs; they don't have any first round picks to trade. They traded them all for Donovan Mitchell. They have literally cannot trade a first round pick. They have some extra seconds. Right. They have got like, but they're like warrior seconds and other seconds. And they don't have like much fungible salary than anybody wants. They're also only a million dollars under the tax. So, like, the easiest way to, to like make your team a little bit better just on, on the money. margins, which is all they yep. need, is like, who wants to cut money? Who wants to give us like a decent player and, yep. and to cut your tax bill? They can't even do that. I, I'm, I'm sure there must have been some move they could have done. There's always some move you could do. I just don't know what it is. Or what it was. I mean, I know they were looking around at wings like at the kind of middle bottom of the barrel. They didn't get any because they just don't have much to trade. I don't I don't even know if you remember what you heard about them at the deadline, but that's gonna be a storyline that comes up now if they lose this series, and particularly if Josh Hart plays a big role in knocking them out of it. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is sort of the choice the Knicks had last summer, right? The choice was do you go all in for Donovan Mitchell and trade a bunch of first round picks and sacrifice a bunch of your assets to get him or do you wait and try to keep building your team until you get to a place where you could trade for him now, i really like the trade for the Cavs at the time because they have evan moby they have jared allen they oh have no no Darius there's Carlin. let's be clear no no, no all I'm good not, and yes. if you think I've, if you think i've sold one share of my evan mobley stock because of four okay playoff games to blah playoff games i'm got all of it i'm riding out the <laughs> stock price I didn't yes. do any I didn't do any insider trading with my Evan Mobley stock ahead of the series. I got it all. Evan Mobley's going to be a great player. I there's no I don't think there's any question about that. He'll be he'll be just fine. But my only point about that was, like you said, the Cavs traded just about everything they had to get Donovan Mitchell. And so like, yeah, I'm sure the Cavs will look I mean, we it's not like you and I are the first people to talk about the fact the Cavs don't have a fifth guy, right? The Cavs, the Cavs wing position, the threes position is probably the single weakest position of any playoff team this year. Like everybody could see that, including imagine the Cavs. if imagine if they just got to rent Tory Craig from the Suns for every game. Yeah. Tory Craig would be like a revelation on the Cavs. And in Phoenix, yes. it's like, is Tory Craig good enough to be the fifth guy on the Cavs? They'd throw a freaking parade because Tory Craig yes. was on their team. And, and that's and to your point, right? This is the problem that they're in. Like. They have Karis LeVert in an expiring deal. They almost have to sign him, no matter what, this summer, just to have the body available either to, to trade him or do something with him later because they can't replace him if he leaves. And they, they they because they traded everything for Donovan, they're in a spot where they just don't have a lot of stuff to add that fifth guy. And that's going to be 
the challenge for Kobe Altman in their front office going forward is with the limited assets they have, where can they find on the margins the guys that can fill in around them to make this team deep enough to take the next step forward? Now, the other thing they're going to need is Evan Mobley, to me, has to take a massive step forward this summer, which he's very capable of doing. He's a hugely talented player, but they need him to take a step forward. So some of these issues are mitigated by him stretching out as a shooter, by him becoming a little bit better, handling the ball in the short roll, doing these things that would help unlock their offense a little bit. And they've got to find a way to add that little bit of depth so that when they're playing a team like the Knicks, it's not just, well, we're going to play four on five and just pretend whoever this other player is, we're just going to pretend they're not there because that, way, that's not going to be good enough in the playoffs. Evan Mobley is 21 years old. If you want to be one of the people on Twitter mocking Evan Mobley enthusiasm, you go ahead. Just bookmark the tweets and talk to me in three <laughs> years about, about your Evan Mobley skepticism. Um, you mentioned Levert. Brunson spent a lot of the first couple games guarding Levert, hiding, mm-hmm. trying to hide on Levert. And the Cavs exploited that by using Levert in a lot of different ways. Part of the problem with, with Levert is when they try and use him as a ball handler, He's just so scattershot that he'll he has I think nine assists the whole series in four games. He's just sort of an unreliable, a little yeah, bit scattershot a of a ball handler. He's a he's a very inconsistent player, right? Like there, I've seen him score. I feel like I've seen him score fifty points against the Celtics five times. And every plays the Celtics, he looks like an All NBA player. But he he's just a very inconsistent shooter and scorer. And there's some games when he looks great, and there's some games when he looks really bad. And you know, it's hard to rely on that guy as the fifth guy in in a playoff series. And he's also, you know, a bit of a liability at the other end, too. So, I mean, it's just sort of emblematic of their issues where they just can't. All these guys have a significant flaw. And it's just it's very difficult to figure out what the right matchup is, which is why J.B. Bickerstaff has been trying 100 different things. And as you've correctly pointed out, when those four guys are on the court, the Cavs look great. And when any one of them is off the court, it doesn't look as good. If, if given what I just said about Levert, if Brunson is on Garland again, I think they need to lean even more into Mitchell Garland two-man game. See what they want to do, the Knicks, when Brunson is faced with a switch on Donovan Mitchell or yeah. hedge and rotation. I think they need to do a little bit more of that. We'll see what happens in game five. It's not, I'm not, this one is not one of the ones I'm writing off as, as over, as, as an over series. We yeah. are, however, Mr. Bontemps, getting close to Philly-Boston. Credit to the Hawks. I just want to say credit to the Hawks. I said last week they didn't look like they belonged on the same court as Boston in the first two games. Show me something in Atlanta. They showed out in Atlanta. They won they game did. three, shot the hell out of it. They pushed Boston to the limit almost in game four and lost. And it was a nice effort, but we're almost there. You ready for that one? Because that one, that's the one. This second round, we got some mega series coming up. We certainly do, especially this Celtic Sixer series where there's a lot on the line. We'll see where Joel Embiid is at at the end of the week. Um, hopefully the big fella's feeling better with his sprained knee and is able to go. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, we've I, I've been waiting all year to cover Celtic Sixers. This has been the these teams have been on a collision course since the summer. And there's a ton of history there, both past and present. So I think the third or fourth time Joel Embiid has played them in the playoffs. They've obviously played many, 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 many times over the years. It's, you know, there's there's just a ton at stake on both sides. And, you know, like you said, 
in a second round where there's going to be some real mega series, I don't think there's going to be one with bigger stakes than than that one when it gets going. And like I said, I just really hope that Joel is able to go full go because he's spent all year hoping to be healthy when the playoffs came around. And if he has that derailed by another fluky landing on a attempted contest of a shot, it would just be really unfortunate. We'll have to talk more about that series going forward when it when it gets when it gets there will be in. there will be time for that I think Tim Bontemps you got to go uh, do some television thank you for making some time I will see you somewhere in an arena probably <laughs> next week whether it's the world's most famous arena or whatever they call the Sixers arena now or somewhere I'll see you around buddy I'm, I'm sure you will man I'm looking forward to it thank you for having me appreciate it. Bye.